Well, good morning, church. So good to be here with you. Thank you to the worship team for helping us to lift up our praises and uh, our prayers and uh, to prepare us now to receive the word. Uh, God's word is what uh, deeply affects and transforms a life. And so that's why we come. We come each week to praise, to prayer, and, and to be in God's most powerful word. Now, I know that there may be some in this room, one or two, that are headed off to university soon. And uh, God bless you as you go. And I don't know if uh, you're feeling it, if it's your first year, particularly if it's your first year. And if you've been at university for a while now, you may remember a twinge of this, that you felt like, oh my goodness, first year, first days, oh, I feel... I feel so on my own, so alone. What will I, I remember me, because I'm a big wussy. I went to Bible college, and my first night in Bible college, I pulled my blankets up around me. I went, oh, what am I doing here? I'm on my own. I have nobody. I'm on my own. I was, I was a big wussy. I really was. But it didn't take long. I got some friends. Uh, I started to take my classes. I started to discover uh, that things were going to be all right. As such, I got my legs underneath of me. And I started to realize, what an awesome place to be. But you know what? There's others uh, who go through life's circumstances where they just feel alone. They just feel like no one's with them. Some of you maybe in this room have even experienced uh, uh, immigrating to Canada. Uh, and, and no one was here to greet you at the, at the border, but you knew you had to come, and you did, and uh, those first few months were probably a challenge. They were hard, and as you got to know people and community came around you, whew, you felt, you know, so much better. It wasn't as frightening. I, I also think of, you know, little kids going to kindergarten on the first day, you know, that's tough, isn't it, moms and, and dads? Uh, your little one, first day, maybe they have to get on the bus. And you, how, many, how many videos have you seen kids crying? I don't want to go on that bus. I want to stay with you. I want to be with you, mom and dad. But they get on the bus, and off they go. They get in their class, and they start a new phase of their life. This morning... We're looking at a moment in the lives of the disciples of Jesus where I suspect, in many ways, they were feeling very much like a, a little kid off, going off to kindergarten or about to enter into an almost first day experience as if they were going out on their own and all alone. And so... As Jesus was in John 14 telling them, I'm going to leave you, um, uh, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? In other words, we want to be with you. We want to go with you because that's where we're most comfortable. That's where we don't fe have fear and trepidation. And so as we continue reading John 14, we see Jesus giving assurances that the disciples will not be left on their own, that they will not be left like orphans without any help. And uh, I can only imagine what that comfort must have felt like 
Nevertheless, Jesus was leaving. So I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, turn to John 14. And we're going to look at John 14, verses 15, 16, and 17. John 14, 15 to 17. Where it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So as you know, many who've been here for the last several weeks, we did a little mini-series on the Trinity. The first week, we looked at the Trinity as a whole. Second week, we looked at uh, uh, Jesus as the Son of God, or pardon me, uh, God the Father. And then the third week, Jesus as the Son of God. And today, I'm excited because I want to talk about God the Holy Spirit, which was really where I began in my thinking and and what the Lord was doing in my heart, to, to learn more this year to focus on the Holy Spirit and his, his powerful role in my life and in the life of our church. And so today, let's look at the Holy Spirit for a little bit. Father, once again I pray that you would work mightily in our hearts. We thank you for every soul that is in this room. They're here for a reason. You brought them here. And I pray and trust that the Holy Spirit will touch their hearts in a very special way, comforting them, guiding them, and giving them a sense of what it means to be a part of the the body of Christ, the family of Christ. And may they enjoy your body here, the Bridge Church family, where we know that you love us, and as we say every week, that everyone here is loved. So, Lord, bless our time in your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we want to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's a grand subject. I mean, if we could, we should stay here for a few days and just going through the scriptures. But we'll take a little of the time that we have and we'll focus. So to do that, I think we need to review. We need to step back for just a second and think about where we've been. And we talked about the Trinity as a whole and discovered that the Bible clearly teaches that God is one and that the one God is three persons who are eternal, coexisting equals in what we refer to as a Godhead. I want to repeat so we get absolutely clear here. So, so clear. The Holy Spirit is equal, is equal to God in every way. To God the Father in every sense, equal to God the Son in every sense, and in no sense is he less than equal. Get that? It's really important. And a few weeks back, I gave you this diagram. And I think it's a very great uh, illustration uh, that uh, there's one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God, uh, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father but yet they are one. We get that. We are in a great place in our studies so far. We want to know that. Because I I didn't mention this before, but there's a whole group of people out there that believe in what is called modalism. 
Has anybody heard of modalism? Good. Modalism is a view where God as, is as one person instead of three persons. And they believe that the Father, Son, and the Spirit are simply different modes or forms of the same divine person. According to modalism, um, God can switch among these three supposed manifestations. So I want you to know, we're not modalists. We are Trinitarian. We believe God is one, but there are three. And again, what have I said before? Blows your mind, doesn't it? Can we ever, ever figure this out while we're on this side of heaven? We will not. We will not. We are human. We are frail of mind. And even when we are in glory, I'm not sure we'll even get it there, but we will have all of eternity for God to try to help us understand. So, let's get to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit uh, is uh, a designation uh, from the beginning of Scripture right through the uh, Revelation. Uh, we see him called uh, the Spirit of God, just like Jesus is called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is God. Uh, I won't take a lot of time tracing out uh, the fact that the Holy Spirit is God in the Scriptures, but I, I do want to just sort of touch on a few points. Uh, first one is the Spirit of God was present and involved in creation. Genesis 1, 1 to 2. So we know that the Holy Spirit was involved with the Son and was involved with the Father. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God the Spirit was there right from the beginning. And you can trace uh, God the Spirit's work in the Old Testament all through it. Secondly, the Holy Spirit moved the prophets of God with the words of God. Think about this. Words of God, how did we get this? Why can we trust it? Because God's word tells us the Holy Spirit superintended its production. It says in 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Carried along. I have a picture in my office, you'll see it, of a sailboat. And I have that there because it reminds me of the Spirit of God's work in my life. And when the wind gets into the sail, it carries along that boat to where that wind will take it. And guess what? That's what the Spirit of God is said to be done, having done with God's Word. He carried along the men and their minds to pen what God wanted us to hear so we can trust it. Third, the bodies of those in Christ are described as the temple of God. And uh, we need to hear 1 Corinthians 6, 19, one simple verse. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Christians, your body is the temple where God dwells. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And you have uh, the Holy Spirit uh, has been sent from God. Fourth, Jesus was clear that to be born again, to become a Christian, one must be born of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. It says in John 3, 5, and 6, Truly, truly I say to you, unless 
one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. How important is the Spirit of God in your eternal life? If you read this scripture over and over, you'll just recognize it again and again. Critical, absolute. Without the Spirit of God, there is no eternal life. A couple more. Acts 5. If you, you want to find out uh, how God's, important God's Spirit is, and that the Spirit of God is God, Acts 5. You remember where Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they thought in the early church they were going to, they sold a piece of property, and they were going to give the money to the church to use uh, as uh, in partnering with God in his ministry in that region. And what they did was they brought a portion of that, those funds, and acted as if it was everything. We have given everything to God here. And Peter looked at Ananias, who came in first, and said, Ananias, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Why have you lied? Then he concluded that section by saying, Ananias had lied to God. Well, Peter reveals the Holy Spirit is God, and lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. So we see the Holy Spirit is God. Maybe one last one. One last one. Remember Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1? Jesus comes up out of the water, and who uh, who does everyone see? The Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. And not only that, the voice of the Father is heard saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the Father. All in that one moment be an amazing trick to have all of those being three separate people acting as if they're only one. They're three. And so I leave it at that. I say the Holy Spirit is God. We know that the scriptures in Ephesians 4 says he can be grieved. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says that he has a will. The Holy Spirit has a will. In 1 Corinthians 2, we discover he uses his mind to search the deep things of God. Mind, emotion, will. He has fellowship with believers, just like we are having fellowship today, 2 Corinthians 13. The Holy Spirit is a person. We need to remember that. It's a part of who we are as followers of Jesus. But the second truth, second truth that we need to look at this morning, and it's essential to our primer, and really this is a 101 look at the Holy Spirit. Secondly, in this passage, we discover so clearly that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, is our comforter. And there's nothing like having that comfort that comes from the whole Holy Spirit. But before we read that section that tells us that, we see that Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples about having a relationship with him, and now he's going to leave them, he says, uh, as he's about to teach them about the Holy Spirit, he says, if you love me, verse 14, you will keep my commandments. He sets sort of like uh, the, the, the stepping stone into this relationship that we're going to have with the Holy Spirit. If you love me, if we love Jesus, you will keep Jesus' commandments. 
He's offering assurance and comfort to his disciples that he's going away, yet he's making provision for them. And he's been talking about uh, them knowing him. Uh, look at uh, John 14, verse 7. In verse 7, it says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. He's talking uh, about the fact that you know God because you know me. We've been together this, all this time, and you know who I am. And so he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And as you keep my commandments, it's because you know who I am. And talking about knowing Jesus. That word know, by the way, is a, a lovely word in the Greek language. It's gnosko. Uh, Greek language is fascinating. Uh, biblical Greek, you, the language is so crystal clear. And I'll, I'll mention another word in a bit. But this word is specifically chosen because they had other options to choose uh, uh, to uh, say, to know something. But this word, to know, gnosko, uh, is to know experientially. It's a knowledge that comes out of, of a real and vital relationship with Jesus. And let me ask you, do you gnosko Jesus? Not just head knowledge. Because head knowledge, knowing about Jesus, is not going to cut it. It's good to know things about Jesus. When he lived, what he did, the miracles he did, the people's lives that he transformed. But until that knowledge enters your heart, and nothing gets into your heart unless you open your heart. We talk about praying that Jesus will come into your heart and your life. And some people don't like that. But let me explain what I think the value of talking that way. You don't let anything into your heart that you don't want to be there. You'll put up a wall. I do it. No, I don't want that. Don't want to do that. Don't want any part of that. But when we open our heart to Christ, surrender our heart to Christ, that's when we get to gnosko him, to know him. Do you know Jesus? Have you at some point in your life said, you know, Jesus, I know, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I receive the gift of your salvation. I ask that you come into my heart. I open up my heart and I know you personally and deeply as my Savior. Have you done that ever? If you haven't. Right where you're at today, you can pray that prayer with sincerity. Pray that prayer. Christ, come into my heart. I ask you to forgive my sins. And I trust you to just do a transformative work in my life. And then we're going to talk about what the Spirit of God does. Well, Jesus also indicates that he's asking God the Father to send God the Holy Spirit. So God the Holy Spirit is actually sent by Jesus and sent by the Father. And here in verse 16, we see that the Holy Spirit is, is talked about with the term, He is the helper. That's a lovely word, helper. In the original language, it's paraclete, parakletos. And it means to uh, be called to one side, to comfort, to counsel, 
to be a helper, a guide. And it's used five times in the New Testament and all by the Apostle John. He loves this word. He gets it really well personally. And he understands that a paraclete is someone who comes to the aid of those in need. Someone who pleads another's cause. Often has a sense of a legal intercessor or advocate. It's another word. Advocate. Wonderful word. It makes me think of my job as a parent. And, and yes, even as a grandparent. That I am a paraclete for my kids when they were growing up. And their kids are now, my kids are now paracletes for their kids. In other words, they are comforters, guides, counselors, advocates. And moms and dads, I'm asking you today to consider your role as your children's paraclete. Just as we're considering the role of the Spirit of God being the paraclete in our lives, the guide, the counselor. We live in an awful world. It's not a great world. Maybe we're in a good spot in the world where we have bread and, and, and on the table and we have decent jobs to go to. Or, but if you think about it in terms of global history, this world is not getting any better. I want Jesus to come back today right now because it's not going to get any better. It's getting, as, as you think about it, it's getting harder even for our kids to raise their kids. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when... Our grandchildren are having to raise kids. So Jesus, come back soon. But our role as parents is to guide. We don't say to your kids, our kids, well, what do you think? Should you go to that movie? Should you go to that school dance? Should you hang out with those kids or those people? We say, we're going to help you here make some decisions because we know you need the guidance. You need the help to decide what is Honoring to the Lord. What is right? What are, what are some things that we shouldn't be involved with? I, you know, I, I joke with my son now because he's older and he can handle it. And he jokes with me. When we're uh, having our kids grow up, we did not, did not let our son play hockey on Sundays. And oh, he wanted to play hockey. And when he played hockey, he was good. We'd made a decision for his benefit, for our family's benefit, that we realized God is saying, give me a day. Give me one day where it's set aside. And so we said, no, we will be in church. Now, the problem is I'm a pastor, so there's a little difference here. I had to be in church. But we made sure he was with us. And today he says, Dad, as we're watching the Maple Leafs play, I could be on that team. I could. I was good. I could have been better. But you didn't let me play hockey. Wasn't true. I didn't let him play hockey on Sundays. But we made that choice. We were, we were his paracletes. We were the ones who had to make a decision. Church is critical. Whether you believe that or not or now. But if you really think about what God's word said. This gathering. The local church. He instituted it. Jesus left it for us. Because it was critical to our lives as believers. The support the caring, the worship, the service, all of that is in church. So, that's my little aside. Parents, think about your kids. Kids, think about what the things in your life, are they good, are they right, are they God-honoring? John also says in 1 John 2, 1-2, 
he also tells us that Jesus was a paraclete. He says, my little children, 1 John 2, 1 and 2, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an paraclete, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is our advocate. It goes on to say he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. I wanted to mention that second verse because that big word propitiation is one that sort of befuddles a lot of people. It simply means appeasement, satisfaction. Jesus is the one who stands between us and God, and he uh, offers an appeasement for our sins. Do you know this? I'm sure you do. Sin has a terrible cost. It's not something we go, oh well. But sin has a terrible cost. It it has such a terrible cost, we have to realize we are at eternal odds with God the Father because of our sin. And that's what separates us from God. That's what uh, should cause us to lie awake at night if we have not trusted Christ, if we have not opened our heart to him and accepted him as Savior, we should go to bed every night and, and find it very difficult to sleep because there's been no appeasement for our sin, no satisfaction. Propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of the offended person, God, and being reconciled to him. And Jesus' role as an advocate, as a paraclete, is to satisfy God's wrath because of our sin. He took it upon himself to pay for our sin. Okay, that's a little aside. That's another place where John uses this term. Let's go back to John 14 and see how the Holy Spirit functions as our advocate, our guide, on a daily basis. So you see, here Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, I'm not going to be with you physically on a daily basis. And he's saying, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, as your constant companion, guide, help, and empowerer for your life every day. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Yet he not only describes him as a helper, notice there in John 14, 16, 17, he describes him as another Helper. He gives that adjective, and that adjective is important. That adjective, another, is, I was going to mention this because, again, of the beautiful language of the Greeks, uh, the word another used here is the word alas, and it expresses a numerical difference and denotes another of the, listen up, another of the same kind. Jesus is giving us and sending to us Another of the same kind. Another paraclete like he had been. Now he's sending us another one. But he's the same kind in quality. He could have used there the word heteros. It would have been translated another in the English language. But heteros means another of a different kind. Jesus says, no, I'm going to send you an advocate. Another of the same kind. The Father would send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, after Christ's departure. Thirdly, Jesus also mentions, he sends a Helper, another Helper. He sends one 
who will be with you forever. Notice that? He will be with you forever. Uh, I think that's one of the most significant, significant aspects of this passage. When the Holy Spirit enters your life, he's there for good. A lot of people talk about, can you lose your salvation? Well, let me ask you, did you ever actually earn it? No. You can't earn God's uh, reconciliation, his favor. That appeasement, that satisfaction, A, only came because of what Jesus did. It's always about Jesus. And when Jesus said and, and promised us another, he told us he will be with you forever. We don't have to go through our days wondering, am I saved? Am I, do I know Christ? All you have to wonder is, did I truly, sincerely give my heart to Christ? That's where the crux of the matter is. Did you accept the fact that God was drawing you and you said, yes, Lord, thank you. Uh, and ultimately, that faith that you expressed was another, another message, came from God. Jesus will be with us forever. His presence and his power are available in the worst of this world can offer. In this tumultuous world, he is with us. I, I truly love Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, so uh, it's when God's word digs deeply into your heart, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Again, that word believed is that internalization from the very core of your heart. Believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now listen again. Who is, blow your mind, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possessions of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit was promised, and that promise, we were sealed. That seal is like in, the, in those day and age when a, a letter would go out, the letter would be closed, and a seal would be put on it, and it would designate where that letter came from, who, who actually owned that letter, and it came to. And so we are sealed as believers with the Holy Spirit. God's stamp is on us. Not only that, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. I love guarantees, don't you? But most of the guarantees in this world aren't really guarantees. They're hopesos. But when God the Father tells us through his word that the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is a guarantee of your internal inheritance, what does that tell you? It's not what we do to come into relationship with God. It's not what we do to keep in a relationship with God. It's what the Spirit of God has done. He has come into our lives and sealed us. Satan knows that once you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, he can never take you away. You are in what we've said a lot of, many, many times. You're in the grip of God's grace. Can I get an amen? amen. It's exciting, isn't it? I love what, uh, I think it was A.W. Tozer said, The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God 
for his people. God's always planned for the Spirit of God to be central in each of our lives. Lastly, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Jesus mentions this again. By the way, this is a whole uh, series of discussions that Jesus has in John 14, 15, and 16. So read all three of those passages, those chapters, and it's all about the Spirit of God. And Jesus mentions in chapter 5, uh, chapter 15, pardon me, um, but when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. Again, the Spirit of truth. Truth. He's talking to his disciples about truth as he is about to leave them because they will quickly come to understand that that's going to be the battleground. And that battleground of truth remains today. I just heard about very one very prominent politician who was trying to teach another politician the value of lying. He says, if you just keep lying the same lie, people will eventually believe it as true. No. Truth is truth. And as one great theologian put it years and years ago, all truth is God's truth. So what we're looking for is truth, and if it's truth, it's God's. And Jesus is saying, the Spirit of God is truth, and he's going to be in your life. Understanding what's true, teaching what's true, living out what is true will be critical in our lives as believers and in our ministries. And so therefore, again, I say, brothers and sisters, every day is to, is to ask the spirit of truth that dwells within you to show you what is true. Because the world is trying to throw out lies, lies, lies. And the more the world lies, the more challenging it is to understand what is a lie and what is true. But we know how to do it. We trust the Spirit of God within us, and we trust the Word of God that is here with us. Lies. Would you just throw this in, in your pocket, in your mind? Psalm 25, 5. What a wonderful Psalm. 25, 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. I, I think that be a wonderful prayer to pray each and every day. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. You know, if you're feeling lonely, if life is heavy for you right now, if you're feeling even discouraged, I like what Warren Wearsby, a, a pastor many years ago, said. The remedy for discouragement is the word of God. If you're discouraged, if you're lonely, if you're whatever, go to God's word. It says, when you feed your heart and mind with its truth, you regain, you regain your perspective and find renewed strength. The devil is doing his very best with the philosophies of this world, with the marketing of this world, 
to put you off kilter, to, to try to make you lose perspective on what is actually truth. And when you regain your perspective in God's word, you regain your strength. Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth is not visible as God the Father is not visible. Yet he's real and he's active. And I'm sure many of you can tell me the times when the Holy Spirit was so evident in your life. It was so real and, and you're going, I want more of that. Uh, Kathy prays for me before I get up here and preach every day, every Sunday. She said in her prayer something like, God, I wonder what it would be like if we all had a real vital understanding and sense and experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What would that be like? I know what it would be like. Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Satan will do whatever he wants and tries to do. He will not prevail because the Spirit of God, he who is within you is greater than he who is in the world. All right, lastly. And this is, this is we can spend more time. And I will come back to the Holy Spirit this year several times. Believers have a clear sense of the presence of God because he, God the Holy Spirit, dwells within them. If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, this, this blows your mind equally as much as trying to understand the Trinity is God lives within you, dwells within you right now. Think about it. Every single day, wherever you go, when you go to bed, when you rise up, when you cut your lawn, <laughs> you know, when you do menial tasks and you do great tasks, when you work at the job that God has given you, the Holy Spirit, God is with you right there ready to guide, strengthen, give wisdom, lead. Jesus says, do you know me? Yes, okay. But do you know that I'm going to send you God the Holy Spirit and he's going to dwell within you? Why did Jesus say that the Holy Spirit will be in them? That's a future tense, right? Why did he say that? Um, when you look at the Old Testament, you, you would see clearly that the, uh, the Spirit of God was there, but he did not dwell in people all the time. He, he worked in people, and at times he, he empowered people. But it wasn't until the New Testament church that the Holy Spirit now indwells believers. Romans 8, 9, you, how, you however, are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. And let me read that again. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, does not belong to him. That is a pretty powerful statement. There are only two options with regard to a relationship with God, the Holy, Holy Spirit. He either dwells within you and you belong to God, or he does not dwell in you and you do not belong to God. Today, I encourage you people, as, 
as um, sojourners, as those going along life's journey to discover how to have a deep and abiding relationship with the Father. Does the Holy Spirit dwell within you? Well, how do I know? It begins with knowing Jesus personally, deeply, intimately. And Jesus promised, if you know me, I will send the comforter, the advocate. Quote from D.L. Moody. I love D.L. Moody. The work of the Spirit is to impart life, to implant hope, to give liberty, to testify of Christ, to guide us into all truth, to teach us all things, to comfort the believer, and to convict the world of sin. If the Spirit of God dwells within you, it's convinced that you'll know it. Because you love Jesus more than anything and you love God's word which promises you that God the Spirit will dwell within you. Corey Ten Boom was a uh, wonderful Christian woman who was caught up in, in you know, the Nazis uh, and what they did. And she, she hid people and she was put in camp, prison camp for um, caring for Jewish people. She said this, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out. All right. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Does he dwell within you? If he does, praise God. Let him do great things in and through you. If not, today is the day. Will you surrender and open your heart and let Christ come in and, uh, and the gift that he offers, which is forgiveness of sins and a, uh, a transformed life. If, if you've done that, well, Holy Spirit God lives in you. And I trust that you're encouraged today in a most challenging world in which we 